0: Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Tonight's readings, forming the final Sunday of Advent before Christmas here in year A, a three cycle set of readings over the years, present us with one of the most uh, enigmatic, interesting passages um, in all of Scripture. And that is the passage that occurs both in our Old Testament lesson of Isaiah, but also again in the Gospel of Matthew. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. At this point in the, in the uh, Old Testament book of Isaiah, this is actually Isaiah the prophet giving advice to King Ahaz. Now Ahaz is the king of Judah. And so Isaiah is giving him advice because... Uh, Ahaz has been asked by Syria and Israel to join them in resisting the Assyrians who are kind of standing at the door, right, waiting to invade the nations. And so Ahaz, as king of Judah, has been asked by Syria and Israel, who have aligned themselves together, to stand with them and to stand over against the Assyrians. Now, Ahaz actually says no to that offer, and he submits himself to Assyria, and he does so for a less than ideal reason. Matter of fact, most scholars think that when Ahaz says in verse 12 from tonight's reading, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test, that that's just pure disingenuousness, that that's, that's not Ahaz actually caring about what the Lord thinks, but that's his way of kind of getting out of this difficult situation, or maybe to say it more theologically, he thinks he can give an excuse, you know, I'm going to do this because it'll make God happy, and therefore I can't do this thing that you're asking me to do. Well, in the end, the Assyrians came in and took over anyway, and of course the um, nation of Judah and Israel end up in exile. But there, in these sets of chapters that form this advice from Isaiah uh, to the king Ahaz, we get then this cryptic, initially cryptic, Reference to a virgin who shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And scholars over the years, if you only are reading the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, you would you would kind of wring your hands, wondering, well, who is this virgin that's being talked about, or or even a young woman is a better translation uh, of the word there, and every commentary will tell you that, um, you know, who is this woman who's going to bear a son, and and who is this God with us person that's going to be born. And so if you want it to not have the New Testament or just not read the New Testament, you might think, oh, this is, a, this is a prophecy about Hezekiah, right? Ahaz's son, that God will send Hezekiah who will help call the nation back to faithfulness uh, and to repentance. Right? But the thing is, is hundreds of years later, Matthew, the gospel writer, takes this somewhat cryptic prophecy from Isaiah and does something radically different with it. He makes it about Jesus. He makes it about the Son of God. Matter of fact, he says, as you heard read by Deacon Steve, like, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way, and, you know, if you were brand new to the Scriptures, you might start wondering, oh, my goodness, in this way, what's going to? is this going to be a medical description of birth? What's going to happen? And, and instead, we get lots of other interesting bits of information, right, that, that Mary is the mother, she's betrothed to, to Joseph, before they had had sex, she's found to be a child by the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, so you're, you're getting all this kind of miraculous language and details here. And Joseph, because he's a just man and unwilling to put Mary to shame, decides, well, I'll divorce her, but I'm going to do it quietly, right? In light of this pregnancy, which, of course, the, the thought would be is he's thinking, like, you don't get pregnant miraculously by the Holy Spirit. So, you know, Mary's cheating on me. So I'm going to divorce her quietly, Uh, But then as he's considering these things, and I think what he's considering is not just the claim of Mary that she's uh, pregnant, you know, even though she's yet a virgin, but I think he's considering these things about, you know, like this woman whom I assume he loves, that he's going to now have to divorce her, scratching his his head and wondering how did it come to this, right? How has our betrothal come to this point where I'm now going to have to divorce her quietly, and as he's considering these things, right? Like, in the way that Mary pondered those things in her heart, here's Joseph's moment of pondering and thinking about what's, what's going on. This is not what I thought my life was going to be from here on out. I thought I was going to be married to this young woman named Mary, and we would, in fact, have children and those kinds of things. But an angel appears to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph has a dream where an angel comes and confirms for him that Mary is, in fact, born, mirac- or that Mary's pregnant miraculously. And in fact, she's going to bear a son, and you're going to call his name Jesus. Why? Well, he's going to save his people from their sins. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't even remember my dreams. I'm, I'm told we all dream, um, and if you just fail to remember them, it's, it's more about your failing to remember them that you didn't dream. Uh, I recently read a book that had a chapter dedicated to kind of what to make of dreams, how to listen to someone's description of their dreams and perhaps extrapolate where they're at spiritually or what the Lord might be trying to say to them. But I, I wonder if Joseph woke up and thought, real or, you know what I mean? Like, is this just my subconscious trying to say, it's okay, go ahead and go through with it, right? Like, you can do this, Joseph. It, it is miraculous, you know, and Joseph wakes going, but really, is it? Right, so that tension that Joseph must feel, right, and all, and she's going to bear a son. So now he knows he's going to have a son, or there's going to be a boy as a result of this, and even what his name is. And then this, this line, for he will save his people from their sins. I mean, I, you awake from this dream not only thinking like, am I kind of dreaming this because I want it to be true, but the dream reveals even further elements that would be confusing. I think, and I'm willing to think Joseph is just a better person than me. Like he wakes up and he goes, okay. That was real, this is what the angel said, For, you know, forward, this is the new plan. But I'm wondering if it's more of not him wondering, like, did I make this up and dream it because I want it to be true? And what is this saving as people from their sin business all about, right? And then we pull out of the text, right, to get Matthew's take on it. And it's in this pulling out, right, that Matthew tells us, by the way, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The problem is, as any basic commentary will tell you, is that was never clear that that's what Isaiah was actually referring to. right? The, the, the prophecy in Isaiah it was never clear that this was actually a reference to the Son of God, to, to Jesus, to he who we now know is, in fact, the Savior of the world, the light of the nations, But Matthew says it is, and so we now read the Bible and say, well, that's what it is. A few years ago, a few of us here read uh, Richard Hayes' book, Reading Backwards, where Richard Hayes, the biblical scholar, makes the argument that once Matthew says this passage is about Jesus, it's always about Jesus. You don't have to worry anymore about that original prophetic utterance. Like, was this supposed to be about Hezekiah? doesn't matter. Matthew says it's about Jesus. Therefore, it's now about Jesus. And I was happy this week to read in a couple of commentaries where they talked about the nature of this original prophecy. And then said, it's unsolvable. But the good news is Matthew tells us who it's about. And so that's where we're at. That Isaiah is actually not just talking about the one who's going to save Israel in that moment. Because Isaiah may have in fact meant Hezekiah, but in the grand scheme of salvation history, he certainly meant, Matthew tells us, the Savior of the world. And so Matthew takes this passage and he makes it about Jesus. And so here in the fourth Sunday of Advent, just a few days before we celebrate the Incarnation, we're now learning that this is what Joseph wrestled with. That when he woke from sleep, Matthew tells us, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. And knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. Now again, I'm I'm inserting that deliberative period there in Joseph's thought process, because I'm not sure if Joseph would have just awakened and thought, well, that solves it all. Feet on the floor, out to Mary he goes. It's okay, sweetheart, right? He's the savior of the world. I get it now, right? I think there still could have been this deliberation, but the reality is, is, in fact, that is what has happened, that she is pregnant miraculously, that that he will be the savior of the world, that he is Emmanuel, God, with us. So in hindsight, Joseph certainly can wake from sleep and say, yes, this is what God's will is. And so in Isaiah, we see that the virgin, this young woman, the virgin and the son named Emmanuel, there are signs, right? And though it's a bit of an unclear sign, that is what it signifies, What we know from it is that it's God with us. That's what Emmanuel means. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So whether that's Hezekiah or ultimately Jesus or both, that this is the promise of God's faithfulness to his covenant. That ultimately what God is saying through Isaiah to Ahaz in the nation is, I will be faithful to you. That God will be with you. Matthew then says that the virgin is Mary. And that this son is Jesus. That literally God will be with us. That, that Jesus Christ, he who was born in the flesh to Mary and to Joseph, is the fulfillment of God's promise of the faithfulness to his covenant. So in Isaiah, it's a promise of God's faithfulness. In Matthew, it's the fulfillment of of that promise because once Jesus is born once the savior of the world is walking on earth God has in fact been faithful to his covenant he always was going to be but literally his faithfulness is now in the flesh right you could walk up you could smack Jesus on the back and say there he is Mr. Fulfillment of the Covenant right There's Emmanuel, God with us, son of man, son of God, walking on the earth. And Paul, in our Romans passage, ties this all together, as Paul so often does. That he takes the reality of the long view of God's promises to the nation of Israel, that he has time to reflect on the person of Jesus, and not just his death, but his ultimate burial and resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father, And so Paul, here in the beginning of Romans, theologizes about Isaiah and Matthew. Not explicitly in reference to Isaiah and Matthew, but certainly with Isaiah and Matthew in mind. And so he says that the gospel, which he has been set apart for, is that which is promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, that when Isaiah was talking about this virgin and child, that was the gospel. That when Matthew tells us about the birth of Jesus Christ to Mary, that that is the gospel. But what is that? Well, that ultimately the gospel, which, you know, etymologically means good news, but what is it? It's God's son. It's Jesus. It's the gospel that's born that day. It is the faithfulness and fulfillment of the promises of God, not just to Israel, but to the world. But Paul says, yeah, but this God's son, he tells us several important things. One, he's descended from David, which is part of the promises that have been made to God's people. That the throne of David will have someone on it who reigns. That is Jesus. He's descended from David. Importantly, he tells us also that he's in the flesh. And again, this is an important emphasis because... It could, there's other options to think about who Jesus is. Well, he was just a good man who was made a God by the people. Or he was a good man who God adopted. God the Father adopted him and made him his son. That's called adoptionism. It's a heresy. You shouldn't believe that. (laughs) But we do have to believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. It's not sufficient that he's just a man descended from David, but that he's. A man descended from David, who was also God in the flesh, right? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, God's son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. And then we continue. And he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Don't let the language there of declaration make you think that Jesus wasn't God until the Holy Spirit declared it after the resurrection. That is not, that would be adoptionism, that is not what Paul is saying here. But instead he's saying that the Holy Spirit confirms his sonship, that he's the son of God, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If there were any doubts about who Jesus might have been, those doubts are answered definitively at the resurrection. Which again, what is it about God's Son that he's resurrected from the dead? The firstborn of all creation. And so Paul tells us in light of all of this, we we come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He's our Lord. He's the one who is ruling from heaven. So again, even in this language, we get resurrection and ascension ascension language that Jesus Christ is Lord. And thereby, because of this, because of this gospel, because of Jesus Christ, the son of God, descended from David in the flesh, resurrected from the dead, ascended to be the Lord of the universe. Because of this, by way of this, we receive grace to do what? To bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations. That's the purpose. It's to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations our collect tonight points us very clearly towards holiness of life and behavior. And ultimately that is in fact what the gospel is about, right? The gospel is not just about great. Jesus did something for me. I believe it. I'm now saved. I'll make a set of decisions about how faithful I want to be to him. Or now I'll decide separately from that. If I want to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. No, instead, the scriptures imply, they they assume that in light of who Jesus is, that our obedience will follow from that. And let us go back to Joseph. I I know we we will hear a lot about Mary tonight as well through our music and everything, and we don't want to lose Mary in this, but, but we also certainly don't want to lose Joseph. I mean, think about it, right? Joseph, he's a good man. He doesn't want to embarrass Mary he doesn't want to make a public display of Mary's uh, pregnancy outside of marriage so he's going to do it secretly and he's he's debating I mean he's torn up I think about that right and it takes an angel I mean thankfully Joseph hears the angel well and understands that an angel just said this to me I, I got a message from God that I am to marry this woman after all so that she will give birth to the Son of God. I mean, she's going to one way or the other, but Joseph has a place to play in that. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. So let's think of the example of Joseph tonight, that as we get ready to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, as we get ready to reflect on the incarnation and the significance of that event, which is the gospel, straightforward, that there is a response that we are to have to that as his followers. And so let us look to Joseph as the example of that. Let us wake from our proverbial sleep, if you will, and do as we are commanded to do. Let us live our lives in such a way that we would emulate the obedience of Joseph and Mary. And as always, let's do our best not to reduce... Christmas to just that one day event. But to realize that in the grand scheme of things, that way back when Isaiah was giving advice to Ahaz, he was thinking of the Son of God. And that hundreds of years later when the Son of God came to fulfill that prophecy according to Matthew, that we now are the inheritors of that, Jew and Gentile alike. So much so that Paul has been called to go to Jew and Gentile. And so let us realize that we are the inheritors of this prophecy, that we are the ones to whom the gospel has been extended. But again, that does not allow us to simply celebrate this one day of Jesus' incarnation, but it demands that we walk in holiness and faithfulness all the days of our life. So as God has offered himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ, let us offer ourselves back to him. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.